I'm Paul Musto, and welcome back to another episode of Siemens Startups, a podcast series where we speak with entrepreneurs to gain insight on how they turn their innovative dreams into successful companies. I'm really excited about the episode today. We are speaking to Rob Miller. Rob is the current Chief Marketing Officer at Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. Hyperloop Transportation Technologies is a global company that is developing commercial transportation systems based on the Hyperloop concept. And if you're not aware, the Hyperloop concept, although Rob's going to do a much better job explaining this here in a few moments, is described as a large vacuum-sealed tube that has a very low air pressure, which allows a pod carrying people or cargo to travel free of air resistance or friction at a very high speeds. This is something I've been interested for through the years since it's a concept that was conceived to kind of revolutionize public transportation, something I think we sorely need here, in the, uh, especially in the United States, and in particular for long-distance travel and offered us at a substantially lower cost and with far less impact on the environment. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest, Rob Miller. Hi, Rob. Welcome and thanks for uh, coming on. I've been looking forward to speaking and learning more about Hyperloop technology and specifically uh, Hyperloop transportation technologies. So let's just start with a quick introduction from yourself and let everybody know who, who we'll be speaking with today. Hi, Paul, and thanks for the opportunity to come and, and talk about Hyperloop and, and our vision for the future. I've been with the company since 2000, early 2016, so uh, I guess that's where we're coming up on on six years pretty soon, which you know makes me an elder statesman in, <laughs> in the world of Hyperloop, because it, Hyperloop as a concept dates back to 2013, so... For me, this is this is one of the, if not the most exciting project on the planet. It's been a blast watching this go from, you know, in the early, this was, um, you know, schematics and drawings and, 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 and a concept to reality. So it's been uh, it's been a fun five, six years. So speaking of which, I mean, so you say the, the technology dates back to 2013. How did the concept originate and kind of how did it develop and how did companies pick it up? Yeah, sure. I mean, when we talk about Hyperloop, the name Hyperloop, it's something that Elon Musk and a team at SpaceX coined back in 2013 when they released the Alpha paper. But the idea for Hyperloop goes back a lot longer than that. You know, we can go back to the to the 1850s where two gentlemen underneath um, New York City had tried to build essentially a uh, a transportation system that would be similar to what a Hyperloop is today. The first patent for what what we would consider Hyperloop, 1918, Robert Goddard. So I think humans have been thinking about how to move in evacuated tube systems now for, for a long time, but it really popularized itself um, in 2013. That's when we, when we started working on it as well. So did Elon Musk create anything new? Because my understanding was that the actual technology was open sourced in a sense for his designs were open sourced for other companies to pick up and develop on their own. Yeah, I think what what he did was he, you know, he laid a vision for what, uh, you know, what he said at the time was uh he wasn't happy with the idea of high the high, current high-speed rail situation in California. The price tag was 70 billion and growing. It would get you from Los Angeles to San Francisco in 3 hours. So he didn't see that as as kind of a leapfrog. So he said that this is this is an idea that he's putting out and he wanted, uh, he said he was too busy to build it. So he asked others to, to pick it up. At that time, we'd, we'd reached out to space, SpaceX and they, they said, um, you know, if we, could, if we could tackle this, they said, blast it off. So we started, to, we started to develop it. The technology itself, though, Paul, I mean, there, we, you know, we've innovated on, on current technology in a number of ways. And, and we can talk about that. 
but the technology is all really existing technology. It's really that no one's put it together before. And I think that's the important part when we talk about Hyperloop. And for those that are they're thinking that Hyperloop can't happen, there's nothing really revolutionary in the technology itself. It's all tech that, that we're using in some form today in transportation or in other industries. Yeah, actually, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit. But why don't you give, uh, you know, I, I gave a little bit of a description of what Hyperloop technology really is. But maybe you can kind of elaborate on that description, try to get people to visualize exactly what it is. I know there's been some news on it and some media on it, but explain exactly how it works. What Hyperloop is, is essentially it's a, we call a capsule, which is, you know, some people call it a Hyperloop train, basically looks like an airplane, a small airplane fuselage without the wings or without the tail. You put that in a tube, we vacuum out the air to create a low friction environment. We're using a, a magnetic levitation technology, next generation maglev. And essentially what you get, you get airplane speeds on the ground. You're able to move safely, efficiently, sustainably. What that would mean is that you, can, you could go from Los Angeles to San Francisco in 36 minutes. You can go from Los Angeles to Las Vegas in 26 minutes. It would really, really help to revolutionize the, you know, the way we think about where we work, where we live, and redefine our concept of distance. And this capsule or passenger carrier, it actually, physically, it's touching nothing within, within the tube itself, correct? Yes, eventually. I mean, we, we'll start off on wheels like an airplane. It's a passive magnetic levitation system, which means that the track is, is layered aluminum, it's unpowered, and it's uncooled. So once you get up to a certain speed, you get magnetic levitation, you get that lift, and then you truly are, in a sense, floating through the tube at low pressures. And we talk about high speeds, but you know, give, an, give our audience a little bit of an idea what we mean by high speeds when it comes to Hyperloop. Hyperloop was um, was kind of billed as speed of sound travel. You know, we could take you the speed of sound, which is uh, you know somewhere around 760 miles per hour. First Hyperloop system is probably somewhere between 600 and 700 miles per hour. You know, there, there's about 10 percent of us that are that are willing to sign up on day one when we talk about traveling this the speed of sound, right, Paul? But a lot of people were hesitant. But the reality is that we've we've traveled at near those speeds in, in, in commercial airliners that, you know, we're you're routinely going 550, 600 miles per hour when you travel by airplane. So it's something that we all we all kind of understand. We just don't go that fast on the ground. You know, I, I really enjoyed watching the video on your website because it shows this very luxurious cabin and people just sitting there and laughing and talking and it, and I'm thinking to myself, if you're traveling 700 miles per hour, right? I mean, is it really going to be a sensation like any other, like an airplane sensation where you're really going to have, you're not going to feel any of the exterior or the speed that you're traveling or any of the exterior effects, right? So is that the case? Yeah, that's because we, we get that we get that question a lot. And, you know, this is not a roller coaster ride or it's not a rocket. We're not strapping you in in a five-point safety <laughs> harness. The reality is you don't feel speed, but you do feel acceleration. So we're keeping the acceleration to 0.1G, which is less less than you would experience in driving a, a Tesla, for example. So the ride is designed to be completely smooth and it would, um, you know, we're designing it so that and we in some cases don't have final say over this, but we're designing the, the Hyperloop so that you wouldn't require a seatbelt. And any time it would be smooth enough so that you could walk around the capsule 
with a hot cup of coffee or, or, or a glass of wine and uh, really uh, enjoy the experience. The other part, Paul, is that, you know, we're, we're trying to build, it's a new form of transportation. So we have an opportunity and I think an obligation to build a, a system from the inside out. We all have experienced uh, travel today. And it were, as we're recording this, we're coming into a holiday season where a lot of people are kind of dreading the getting from one point, one point to another because middle seats and crowded planes and, and TSA and, and it's really travel has really become a burden rather than a pleasure. So for us, we're trying to build the Hyperloop so that we can kind of, uh, you know, restore that joy of the journey a little bit, you know, and build it inside out so that we can use today's technologies to create a great experience for, for passengers. Yeah, and I can relate to that. I mean, uh, as somebody who travels uh, all over the world, I mean, I find traveling even on just trains really a much more enjoyable experience in, in general but it's slow, right? It's it's not as fast as air travel. I mean, air travel today is just ridiculous in what you go through at airports and things like that to do that. I mean, that's what intrigues me about this kind of technology, especially in the U.S., where we don't really have a comprehensive rail system like we, you know, maybe some of the other countries do. So I think this is come long overdue. And you mentioned earlier, I kind of want to go back to that about the innovations, because again, I noticed on your website that there was additional patents that Hyperloop PT has created from the base pieces of it. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I think everything from the, I mean, we're, we're very excited about, about some of the innovations that we've built from this next generation maglev, which was called Inductrack, built by Lawrence Livermore National Lab back in the 1990s. It's that passive magnetic levitation system. It's kind of one of the, for us, it's a little bit of the secret sauce of the of the Hyperloop. That and the, the mixture of, you know, injecting some, some noble gases into the system. We have a, you know, we have a patent there. You know, Elon Musk set, set this vision out in 2013 and we've just been trying to, in the interim, improve on it and keep developing, keep iterating, keep making it smoother, more efficient. And I mean, it's something like, you know, we're at the iPhone 4 model now and, uh, you know, in, in, in a few years we'll be at the, the 7 or the 8. I mean, we have the ability to keep iterating and keep improving the technology. Yeah. And, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, I've worked with Hyperloop Transportation Technologies now for a couple of years. So uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to a few people and, and learn about the company. You have a very interesting development model. And did the company actually start in 2013? We did our initial feasibility study in 2013, and, and we were incorporated as a company shortly thereafter. We've been at this as long as anyone towards Hyperloop. But the way we're doing it is, is actually really unique. Yeah. You know, we've been fortunate enough to have Harvard Business School write two case studies on on the company that's being taught um, now at at, at uh, Harvard and USC and other business schools around the world. Basically, Paul, if you and I today, if we decided today that we were going to start our own Hyperloop company, we're going to branch off and we're going to you know leave our respective roles, start our own uh, competitive Hyperloop company. What would it take for us to get started, right? You would need expertise in at least two dozen engineering fields, right? Aerospace, aeronautics, vacuum technology, nuclear physics, magnetic levitation, and a dozen or two others, right? You know, I'm here in Los Angeles. You're, you're there in Florida. You know, likely, you know, there's some of that expertise is, is here in L.A. Probably they're employed by good companies. You know, bringing them onto the team would be, would be an expensive endeavor, so, you know, along with developing the technology. So to get started in Hyperloop or to build a prototype is a multi-hundred million dollar, maybe a billion dollar proposition. 
I mean, to get there is, you know, so, and, and that's why there's just iterations and not true innovation in transportation is that it's a challenging road. What we did was um, there's a reality that we have the ability to connect people around the world now. And you have this uh, cognitive surplus in the world of people that have done great things, want to work on projects uh, that, that could revolutionize transportation like Hyperloop, really don't have a, a vehicle to do that. So we did a call to action in 2013 and asked for engineers to figure out if this was actually something that's, that's, that is feasible and that we could do. And we had generated a, a, just a tremendous amount of interest from people at companies that, that are all familiar to us, you know, from people that had uh, done things like built the Large Hadron Collider. We even had somebody's passed away since that had participated in the Manhattan Project. So it was really an outstanding group. And we, we you know, instead of um, contracting them, what we did is we would say we would give them equity in the company via stock options for working a few hours a week on the project. That's how we got started, where everyone was we, what we call a contributor, working for stock options. We've evolved over time so that we now have, you know, we now have 50, 60 employees and we have 50 partners around 800 contributors who have participated in, in Hyperloop. So it's allowed us to really, at a fraction of the, of the hard development costs, to accelerate our development and to be able to access the expertise that, that we've needed to bring it to life. Yeah, I mean, this, this podcast series is all about exposing or, or introducing to people, other entrepreneurs, some creative ways of being able to get their company off the ground and source uh, expertise. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges I constantly hear from other startup companies is getting that the talent and the resources to be able to to get their company to that next level. I mean, when I saw 800 plus contributors and give people an idea of kind of where these contributors are, it's not like they're all in Los Angeles, right? They're spread out all over the world, right? We are a around the world, which is our blessing and our curse, mm -hmm. at least for sleep and, <laughs> and some things and a normal work day. But the reality is that that's opened so many doors for us because Hyperloop is not an American project. Hyperloop is a, you know, it's not a French project. It's not a, it's not an Emirati project. It's, this is really a global project. So we've been able to really build a global company through the expertise and, and find the right people or allow the right people to find us who are able to help the company move forward. Part of that is now you have cities around the globe who are, who are also interested in working with Hyperloop TT on putting up test tracks and things like that, right? So some of those, I, I, from what I'm aware of, Dubai is a, very interested in Hyperloop transportation technologies. What are some of the other cities that you've been talking to? The closer to home, the most interested early adopter for Hyperloop is this uh, Chicago to Cleveland to Pittsburgh route. And, uh, you know, essentially it's, it's, it's interesting because that route is, is, you know, about halfway from Chicago to New York. And if you think about transportation or the way transportation's grown in the U.S., it's really been that, that populist eastern seaboard to Midwest is, is kind of helped the growth of the country. So we're really excited about, uh, about that route. We've completed this multi-state feasibility study we're moving in next year to an environmental impact statement that'll allow us to 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 hopefully be the first the first hyperloop route in the states that's being built otherwise we've had we've had interest around the world we've built our our full scale prototype in toulouse france toulouse is considered the the uh, space capital of europe 
home of Airbus and a number of other really good, really great companies that are working in aeronautics and aerospace and just a tremendous engineering force there. So we've um, done a lot of development there. We have an agreement in Abu Dhabi at the the board of Abu Dhabi in Dubai to build a five kilometer system. We've worked everywhere from China to Ukraine to Indonesia on exploring bringing Hyperloop to life. So there's a lot of interest and it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a race in a bit to see where the first ones get built. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible that you have cities like that that are interested in making that kind of investment. Have there been test tracks put together? Have there proof of concept modules put together? So our our proof of concept is, uh, you know, is in Toulouse, France, and that's the first full scale Hyperloop system. The tubes, we talk about tube travel, the tubes are about four meters in diameter, about 16 feet. It's 320 meters long, about a quarter mile. That's where most of our development innovation is happening. So we were talking earlier about uh, the fact that the original concept is kind of an open source idea. You do have patents and everything else. You know, there aren't a lot of companies that are investing in this technology, but there are a few and a few big names. I mean, how do you see Hyperloop transportation technologies differentiating themselves against uh, the other competitors that are out there? There are a few companies that are that are developing Hyperloop seriously. You know, we've been working on it, you know, longer than anyone we have the full-scale system. We have a unique technology stack. But, you know, we're also mindful that this is an industry and an industry that, uh, you know, we've proudly helped to create. So if you look at aviation or you look at rail travel, there's not one company that's, that's exclusive <laughs> around the world. It's, uh, you know, it's it's dozens of companies. So we expect that would be the case in, in Hyperloop as well. So we feel very proud of the work that we've done to date, but we're also excited to see others take this up and help bring it to life. That's an interesting point, too. I mean, I've done I've spoken to many people like in the space tech industry. Right. And there's what we call the healthy competition. Right. So even though there's companies developing similar technology competing for the same kind of maybe consumer dollars, there's also a level of collaboration to make sure that there's a you know success. Right. Is that the same for this Hyperloop area? Yeah, it's, it's the you know the the rising tide floats all boats yeah, type yeah, yeah. of type of effect, <laughs> and we 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 absolutely feel that. And if we we feel that others in the space have that have that sense of friendly competitiveness and and cooperation as well. Yeah, and I see other ones they're kind of branching off, maybe focusing on freight and, instead of passenger travel and so forth. So I'm sure as it develops, it's gonna everybody's gonna carve out their own niche, right? Absolutely. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that I've worked with Hyperloop for a couple of years now, and I think the partnership's been great. Maybe you can speak to a little bit from your perspective and kind of what that partnership with Siemens kind of means with Hyperloop and, and kind of how you see it going forward. Yeah, so we had reached out, I guess, back in 2018 or 2017 to explore uh, initially the PLM software. And now fast forward three, four years, it's been a fantastic partnership and something that are, you know, really has grown and, and something where our engineers have, as we've developed, we've kind of developed into, into the need for, for additional tools and products as well. So I think for us, um, you know, we would say that we're very proud to have Siemens as a, as a partner and a friend. You guys are literally helping us to, to bring this thing to life. It's good. I mean, it's been fantastic and certainly an experience for us to, to kind of get almost a front row seat in some of the most advanced technology being developed out there. I mentioned earlier, I actually mentioned to one of your peers about 
wanting the first ride. And I kind of meant that half jokingly, but because, uh, <laughs> like you said, <laughs> it seems to be might be a little bit of a of a, of a scary uh, experience. But he actually told me that the, the the queue is way long, and there's you know a lot of people who are willing to jump on that first trip. So actually, speaking of which, do you have any idea when you think you might have the first or what the goal is for first commercial travel? We're finalizing an announcement of where that where that might be. Um, so we're we're excited to be announcing that in the next few months. Our goal is that you know, that we have millions of um, of passengers traveling by Hyperloop in the 2020s, right? So we want to bring this to life by the end of the decade. Well, before we have millions of passengers traveling, Paul, you and I will be able to to ride in a in a shorter of three to five mile Hyperloop that we'll use for certification. And that, that's the the mid 2020s. So I think the important thing when when, when you hear about Hyperloop, it's uh, you know something that uh, you know hopefully is not new to the listeners here. But you know there's still a lot of question of oh, okay, is, is that really going to be built? I think we've reached a point where we reached this tipping point where it's not a matter of of if anymore; it's a matter of when. So Hyperloop is here. Hyperloop is coming. We'll we'll be riding in it very soon. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting point, too. I've read articles, watched YouTube videos and things like that. And there's definitely multiple camps, right, or both sides of the fence in terms of whether or not this is going to be viable in the future. So it's it's kind of interesting. And, and, and working with Hyperloop, there's no question that there's interest, investment, and a desire to have some uh, this technology come to fruition. So I don't see that anything's going to really stop that. Actually, one of the other questions I, I, I was kind of jumped into my head as you were speaking to, to earlier was you were talking about the environmental aspects of it, too. And certainly when we look at the future of mobility, that's going to play a huge role in that. And I mean, I'm sure for Hyperloop, is that a big focus? Absolutely, Paul. I think for us and our team, we're as excited or more excited about the sustainability aspect as the speed. We live in a world where 23% of, of global carbon emissions are are in transportation. Pollution from transportation is taking months and sometimes years of, 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 of life expectancy away in, in, in some of these uh, you know, major cities. When you think about a transportation system for the future, I think the transition to electric vehicles is, is a great one, but we're still at you know, 2% adoption in the US. Hopefully that will continue to grow. But when we look at mass transportation systems, Hyperloop has, is completely emissions-free in operation. When you're traveling above ground, you know, we're using solar panels on top of the Hyperloop system. So in addition to the kinetic energy gains through regenerative braking in the system, let's say the example from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, 26 minutes, you have several hundred miles of, of uh, solar panels. So you have this massive solar energy farm that rides along top of the Hyperloop. And so what that means is that you can capture during operations, it's possible to capture, we hope, more more energy than you consume, which is a radical proposition. But being in a low pressure environment, it's very low energy use system. So if that's the possibility and we're capturing it and we're capturing energy is the Hyperloop. Can you plug into the Hyperloop system? Essentially, can the Hyperloop system give give energy back to the grid? You know, and along with that, that uh, efficiency and sustainability, you're able to keep uh, hopefully ticket prices low. So it's not a um, a bullet train cost. It's not an airplane cost. This is more like commuter rail and hopefully like the cost of a bus ticket. 
Yeah, I saw twenty dollars uh, was kind of like a target t- a ticket price for something from L.A. to San Francisco or something like that. Would be a typical cost would be twenty dollars. But I mean, as a viable alternative to flying or driving, most of us, and especially in the U.S., we drive and fly because of convenience, especially the driving part. Right? I've been out to the West Coast here in Florida. The traffic is horrendous because there's no real viable alternative to driving. Right? So we definitely need those alternatives. Hey, Rob, just a couple of quick questions for our entrepreneurs. You actually gave a, a very, some really good insight around the unique approach that Hyperloop took in terms of scaling uh, an engineering team. Any other thoughts for the entrepreneurs who are listening to this in terms of what it takes to get a company off the ground and some of the challenges that you need to overcome? You know, in this, the past five, six years, the thing that I've been surrounded with, uh, you know, and for me, with the biggest learning was being surrounded with with people that are passionate about your project, regardless of where they are in the world, people that have a, have a mind towards entrepreneurship, because it's not, you know, it's, it's for some of, for some of us, it's natural, but for others, we grew up in a, in a, in a place where you, um, you know, you go to school, you find a job, you work that, you work that job, right? There's entrepreneurship is not something that's really taught, but it's something that needs to, that, that needs to be learned. So surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded and at, that are doing similar things and, and those that, um, you know, those, those that want to help you to bring your idea to life is, is absolutely critical. The other piece is resiliency. So change is inevitable. It's really how you react to that change. And, and for us, it's been for me the, the most rewarding five years of, of my career. And, you know, at times it's also been the toughest five years yeah. of my career because there's no roadmap. There's no, you sit down and, and follow the footsteps of those that have done it before. There are tremendous swings in the same day. You know, you could wake up and, and the sky is falling and then, um, you know, you're celebrating that night because you've, you've, reached, you've reached some milestone. We're fortunate that we have an extremely resilient team and, uh, you know, finding people that can, um, you know, go through those ups and downs with you, I think is, is another, another equally important uh, piece to it. Yeah. And that is remarkably true. I got to tell you, one of the things that's really impressed me about Hyperloop TT is that, you know, I've, I've worked with you for a couple of years and pretty much the team has been pretty sound and solid. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of turnover and I know during COVID period, uh, it was got a little bit challenging. I think for every company, especially startup companies, got extraordinarily challenging. And yet the team kind of stuck together. And then you talked about the the collaboration amongst people who don't even work for the company and they're working for potentially some equity in the company. And we're not just talking about like anybody. We're talking about you got professors in academia and trained engineers and engineers that are working in other companies, all contributing on this in a, in a really productive way. Pretty incredible. And I would say that to add to that, Paul, I think that another, another piece of advice is, is choose your partners well. I think one thing that, um, you know, one advantage of, of working with Siemens is that you guys, have in, you guys are invested in, in our success. So when we've needed you for support and for help as we, as we continue to grow, your team has been there. So I think that's one thing that, you know, we're fortunate to have, to have you guys as a partner because, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of with us through the, the good times and the bad times. And you not only do you have, you have a product that's, that's strong enough that gets us from the design phase to the, to the operation, but your team is, is always willing to help us if we're ever struggling. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And for our audience, that was unsolicited, by the way. 
But I know many people think of Siemens as this very large corporation and don't spend a lot of time with startups. But I can speak to it personally for the last couple of years. This has been a passion of mine to work with companies like yours. And it's been, to be quite frank about it, an honor to be able to interact and and work with with folks like yourself, Rob. So I appreciate that very much. Any parting words for our audience before I kind of close out? I know we've been chatting for quite a while here. No, and just, you know, get excited because we are, we are in the generation of Hyperloop and, uh, you know, we're going to bring this to life and, and hopefully others, others will as well. So we hope to see you on a ride sometime soon. <laughs> I'll definitely be on. I'm not sure about the first one, but I'll definitely be on one of them, that's for sure. I'd love to go for one of the launch events, but thanks again, Absolutely. Rob. <laughs> so I want to thank everybody for, for listening today. At Siemens, we do understand that it's a challenge to get your company up and running. We have programs, as Rob mentioned, to help companies at any size get off the ground and get their products to market as soon as they possibly can. So I appreciate listening here today. If you want, please visit us at www.siemens.com slash software for startups. And this is Paul Musto. Thank you for listening again. If you would like, please give me some feedback at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or you can email me directly at paul.musto at siemens.com. And remember, innovation has no boundaries. Thank you. Thank you.